Welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? A show where our host engages in a lively conversation with the guest. The guest chooses the topic and the host has no prior preparation or knowledge of the topic. Please note that the opinions expressed on this program are the opinions and views of the host and the guests and are not necessarily the same opinions and views of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studio. And now, here's your host, Chad Knight. Good evening and welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? Uh, you know, tonight is the uh, 26th episode, so um, we, we've breached that first 25, so that's a good thing, I think. Um, you know, we're beyond that, that, that episode where a lot of podcasts die out. And I guess that's kind of, this is kind of my welcome to my mind, Mayor. This is, this is my, this is the part where, um, you know, I kind of just talk about what's in my mind and, and what's going on. And it's been a lot of fun. I started this uh, sometime last July, I want to say. I'm 25 episodes in. Um, this is the, the 26th episode. And um, actually, to kind of commemorate that, I've brought in a friend of mine um, who's been on here a few times, but he was the first episode I did. So everybody say hi to Al. Hi, Al. <laughs> Maybe I said that wrong. I should say, Al, why don't you say hi to everybody? Hi, everybody. My name is Al. <laughs> yeah, and it's, good, right, uh, so... it's, it's good that you didn't sort of interrupt you for a sec here, but yeah, it's good to see that you haven't, we haven't experienced what some people call uh, pod fade. That's where, you know, because we try to do like, you know, an episode for both our podcasts. You know, we try right, to do right. an episode a week. Uh, I think there was like one or two weeks where I missed uh, having a, being able to post something. But yeah, there's something called Pod Fade where you listen to a podcast and, you know, maybe they keep it like every week or every other week. But then it gets to the point where, okay, maybe they're doing it every three weeks, then every right. month, uh, then every yeah, two months, and then you never. Yeah. So yeah, at, at this point, we have been able to, um, at least with this podcast, uh, whose podcast is it anyway? Um, we've been able to keep it weekly, um, and we've actually we used to have a backlog of these where they were there was like three weeks in between uh, when I recorded to when we put it live, and now that's down to a week. So, um, and we did that not by taking we did that not by taking a break, but by putting out three episodes in one week to get caught up. So, um, I, I don't know. The other big thing on my mind right now is, uh, you know, the uh, inauguration of Donald Trump. Um, and again, I, I've talked about what I think about Donald Trump in the past. And all, all I'm going to really say about it at this point is I hope he proves proves me wrong, that, that what I think he's going to do is not what he's going to do. But, um, you know, like all other presidents, he's got four years to do what it is that he wants to do. And if America likes it, he'll get four more. And if they don't, they'll they'll swap them out for somebody else. Um, but I just I just hope that he uh, he proves me wrong. So I remember um, someone posted something on Facebook. I think you may have actually shared it. It said, you know, I hope Trump is a good president. I mean, if you were on a plane, do you really want you know? Do you, when you step on a plane or a bus or any form of mass transit? 
do you think to yourself, you know, I hope the person in control of this vehicle does a bad job, crashes and kills us all. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's exactly what it is. It's not so much that um, I think he's going to be a great president. I just hope that he's better than I think he's going to be because, like you said, I don't want him to fail. He's the president of our country. He's the guy that, you know, the rest of the world looks to for um, help and guidance, and we'll see where we end up. I mean, uh, you know, we can revisit this at another time, but I definitely, um, you know, something that's been in the back of my mind, so – with that said, uh, let's get into the official, uh, you know, introduction of Al here. I kind of meshed the first two segments together, but so Al Seeger, um, I've known Al. Actually, we haven't talked about this, Al. How long have I known you? It's got to be a good eight, nine years, maybe. Has it been that long? Or has it not been that long? I don't think it's been quite that long. I know we did meet at a gaming convention. Um, yep. I don't remember if it was Chaoticon in Green Bay or back in the days of Oshkon in Oshkosh because we met through a mutual friend of ours, uh, Ben, who right. he, I, I don't think he publishes as much anymore, but he has a role-playing company, you know, self-published that he does called Regian Entertainment. And I remember I met Ben at the, I'm wanting to say it was 2009, where, you know, we were just in the, you know, booths right next to each other. And we just started talking and kind of hit it off from there. So I think we first met at Chaoticon. So I'm wanting to say probably 2010 or 2011. So six or seven years. So yeah, somewhere a, little less than, a little less than what I was thinking. But so anyway, so I've known you for a while, though. And, um, you know, Al has become... Um, kind of kind of central in my life right now because with the podcasting and stuff like that you know I spent a lot of time talking to Al so um, that's never a bad thing I haven't yet come out of a conversation with you Al going what the <laughs> you that know sounds but like uh, a challenge no just kidding oh geez goody goody <laughs> um, so anyway um, tell us a little bit about yourself Al something you haven't told us before how about that my name is Al. I run Point of Insanity Game Studio, which I'm pretty much the only one who does any writing there. So I've, I've aspired to be able to get it to the point where I can have my own office and my own building and my own media empire someday. But I think I've pretty much uh, kind of dropped those dreams by the wayside. So I still enjoy doing the podcasting. I, I know I haven't been as prolific with my writing lately. Uh, married. I've got a kid. I... Trying to get back into martial arts because I did martial arts pretty consistently for about a good 10, 11, 12 years or so. And uh, other than that, I've got a couple of useless degrees. Uh, well, one of them would be useful, but I just haven't been able to find a job with it. Um, I had a, got an associate's degree in information technology. But uh, for my days, so I. Did, I. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, it's just my problem was. Once I completed my degree, the, the college I went to, and kids, don't go to a for-profit class. class blah, blah, blah. Don't go to a for-profit college. I mean, they're Ooh, expensive. Which one got your money? What's that? I said, which one got your money? Globe University. Okay. And as far as for-profit colleges go, they are actually fairly reputable. reputable I cannot talk today. Reputable and... The, the problem I had with it is, I mean, I was doing my own job hunting and 
you know, they had someone from the university that was helping me job hunt. And it's like the only thing that the person who was helping me, uh, you know, with my job hunt was always giving me jobs that either were temporary jobs, you know, like three, five, six months or right. paid lower than what I was making at the, the company I got hired on to, um, which I use a little bit of my IT knowledge there. And I, I also, from uh, UW Oshkosh, I've also got a degree in religious studies with a minor in studio arts. So, Oh, so there's that work. That's, that's, that's where that worthless one comes in, huh? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I can see it being useful when you're you're writing for your uh, for your your gaming and that kind of stuff. I could see use to that for creating religions and cults and things like that. Yeah, so I wouldn't say that. I mean, I had this grandiose plan to go into college and or go to grad school and become a professor. But, and I was accepted to Edgewood College down in Madison. It's just the problem was I just couldn't get the money for it. And then I got, you know, then my, I got engaged and then we bought a house and things just kind of, it just got kept getting shifted to the back burner. But I wouldn't say it's been totally useless. I mean, I have actually used some of the knowledge that I gained in my religious studies degrees, uh, in some of my podcasts I've done on geekery in general. And then, like I said, I've also got the minor in uh, studio art. Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's jump away from that. I'm going to jump into uh, this day in history, uh, which of course you all know, I get my stuff from www.history.com slash this day in history. So for January 27th, 1862, Lincoln orders armies to advance. On this day in 1862, President Abraham Lincoln issues General War Order No. 1, ordering all land and sea forces to advance on February 22, 1862. This bold move sent a message to his commanders that the president was tired of excuses and delays in seizing the offensive against Confederate forces. The usual order was the product of a number of factors. Lincoln had a new Secretary of War, Edward Stanton, who replaced the corrupt Simon Cameron. The president had also been brushing up on his readings about military strategy. Lincoln felt that if, that if enough force were brought to bear on the Confederates simultaneously, they would break. This was a simple plan that ignored a host of other factors, but Lincoln felt that if the Confederates weakened one to strengthen another, the Union could step in and seize and hold the one weakened. The primary reason for the order, however, was General George McClellan, commander of the Army of the Potomac in the East. McClellan had a deep contempt for the president that had become increasingly apparent since Lincoln appointed him in July of 1861. McClellan had shown great reluctance to reveal his plans to the president and exhibited no signs of moving his army in the near future. Lincoln wanted to convey a sense of urgency to all military leaders, and it worked. In the West, Union armies in Tennessee began to move, and General Ulysses S. Grant captured Fort Henry and Fort Donaldson on the Tennessee and Columbian Rivers. I'm sorry, Cumberland Rivers, respectively. McClellan, however, did not respond. Lincoln's order called for strict accountability for each commander who did not follow the order. But the president had to handle McClellan carefully. Because the general had the backing of many Democrats and had whipped the Army of the Potomac into a fine fighting shape over the winter, 
Lincoln had to give McClellan a chance to command in the field. Okay, so, you know, this is the Civil War had begun by this time, but it hadn't really begun. The North had, or the South had seceded. They had um, basically thumbed their noses at the North, and Lincoln had gotten uh, Congress to um, approve an act of war, and then nobody did anything. So Lincoln comes along, makes this uh, general war order number one, and it kind of, you know, shook the chaff from the wheat, so to say. You know, kind of said, all right, if you are, if you're with us, then this is what you're doing. And if you're not, this is what you're, you know, you won't do this. And then they were gone. McClellan didn't last very long in the Civil War. So, um, you know, it's just, it, it's things like that. I'm a, like I said, I'm a big history buff. I really enjoy Civil War history. Not so much on the federal level, but um, I do enjoy reading like there's a, there's a series of books that were put out by Time Magazine. Um, on letters home from the from the field, and I really enjoyed listening, reading those things. So um, that's kind of why I chose this one um, as the history uh, for today. So um, I guess at this point, Al, unless you have something to add to to what we just read, let's get into your topic for today. Well, just a quick side note before we get into the topic, I decided I wanted to talk about. Um, you know, you mentioned with you know being a civil war buff there's one uh it's called a mockumentary because it's not a true documentary but it was made in the style of one have okay. you ever now perhaps one of the most cliched and overdone topics in you know in in the theory in well not really theory but when exploring fiction based on alternate universes and stuff like that or alternate histories mm-hmm. usually there's always a one what if the south won the civil war and there was a, a documentary, and I, I saw it on Netflix, so I'm not sure if it's still there. It's called CSA, Confederate States I've, of America. Yeah, and, I have heard about it. I have not seen it, but go on. Yeah, and it's a really interesting documentary to watch if you have a chance because, it again, it's done in a documentary format where the South won the war. And, you know, in the Cold War, instead of being between, like, the U.S. and Russia, was actually between the U.S. and Canada because Canada is where all of the – you know, the, the escaped slaves were going, of course. And okay. the thing that I, I know some people would would be offended by this, but, for example, they have different commercials they put in there. For, like, there's this one where it opens up, it's a Confederate life or Confederate insurance. And it's it's showing this picture of this, you know, white family, and it's like, you know, protecting, you know, families and their property, and it shows a black, groundskeeper in the background oh ow. and you know again but you have to consider the, the you know the context of the, the, the mockumentary where it is exploring what if the u.s um you know law well it was exploring that you know that whole idea of what if the south won the war and it was done as a as a documentary that would have been done by the bbc so check it out if you have a chance it is interesting i Again, because they try to take a look at some of the the historical events that may have changed the course of the Civil War. But anyways, on to today's topic. And, you know, you we're actually going to be talking about one of my useless degrees in here. 
Okay. And I'd like to discuss a question that people have tried to answer for hundreds, perhaps even thousands of years. So I'm sure we're going to find an answer to this question in the next 20 or 30 minutes. What do you think? I think absolutely. Why not? If not, off who? Exactly. Yeah. So pay attention, everyone. We're about to answer a question that everyone has tried to answer for hundreds of years. All right. Hit me with what's What's the question? What is art? What is art? Yes. And uh, it's this guy I know in New York, actually. Oh, you know, and I, um, I think I used to work with a guy named Art, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what is art as in what qualifies for art or what do I personally think is art or what, what are we looking at here? Yes. So I yes. You know just because I know it's a question that people have tried to answer for many years because I and I, of course, there's different types of art. You know, we can talk about your visual art. So, hey, maybe I'm using some of my stuff for my studio arts minor. But there you go. um, The, you know, on one hand, you've got your visual arts, painting, drawing, sculpture, you know, woodworking. And then on the other hand, you've also got your performing arts like, you know, singing, music, dancing, uh, ballet, theater. And you can also use art in... Another form as well, like, for example, if, let's say, you know, a guy who's really good at playing thieves in Dungeons and Dragons, you might say that that person has lifted the, you know, role playing a thief to an art form. But that's not really what I'd like to talk about. I mean, I I think first let's decide how would you classify art or if you had to describe to someone what art is. How would you describe art? No, see, and and I'm horrible for this. Um, uh, you know, when I look at paintings or drawings or, um, you know, m- multimedia canvases that people use nowadays, I have a really hard time with what is art, you know. Um, and it comes down to a few things. I mean, you can look at the masters. You can look at Da Vinci and and um, and Leonardo, I'm not even coming up with Raphael, one of the other Ninja Turtle guys. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you can look at these guys and say, okay, history has decided that this is art. But then you look at them, and some of the stuff out there that's art. Um, one of the big ones uh, that uh, always gets to me is, um. Uh, the artist, he was from Spain. Um, Picasso? Picasso. I look at Picasso stuff and I go, my daughters could do that. And they could with, without trying too hard. But yet he is considered one of the greats. To me, I don't get it, you know. Um, but because I don't get it, does that mean it's not art? Absolutely not. It just means I don't get it. Um you know, I've done years in theater. I consider it an art form, but do I consider it art? Not what I do. You know, um, are there great people out there that do really great shows and stuff? And even though people tell me that the stuff I do is great and blah, 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 but I don't consider it an art per se. I consider it an art form. Um, 
See, you know, Chad, I'm going to disagree with you. I now I've on the you're talking about your your drama and your plays and stuff. Now mm-hmm. I've never really done theater, and I've never seen you in theater, so I can't, you know, I can't testify to what your you know your acting abilities are. But right. I mean, if you have the ability to go up on stage and in front of other people and and talk, well, for starters, you know, you've that's already something because I mean, how many people in the, in the world are afraid of public speaking and being able to get up in front of an audience and make them think that you're happy or you're sad or that, you know, you're actually someone else. There is a certain talent that, that goes into that. I mean, really talking about, talent though al we're talking about whether or not it's an art okay well i said i I, maybe we disagree with this but i consider theater an art form exactly and and that's what i said i consider it an art form but is it art you know you know because because in the definition of what art is and um i understand that i'm kind of wobbling here but People, you have to remember that I'm doing this off the cuff. I had no idea what we were going to talk about. Well, we did but actually talk a little think... bit about this when we were uh, hanging out at uh, New Game of Palooza back in October. That's true, but that I still wasn't prepared. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I'm getting at. Yes. So, you know, yes, um, it is an art form, but is there a difference between art form and art? Okay. Or do we lump those together and say that if it's an art form, therefore it's art? Because then you have to lump in things where people take feces and throw it against, you know, stretched canvas. Or they paint their private parts and plop them on canvas. To me, that's not art. Yeah, because I think art, I mean, if we want to focus on visual art, that's probably going to make it a lot you know, a lot uh, easier for the the discussion. And like, for example, I don't know if you were familiar with Jackson Pollock. I've heard the name and I've seen some of his stuff. Yep. Cause he had, you know, the style dripping and whipping where he would just dunk some of his paint, you know, as one of his brushes and some paint and they're just kind of whip it around the canvas. And right. to the untrained eye, it can look like little more than just, oh, someone splashing paint randomly, but sometimes there is actual thought there. And there, there's actually a, a movie I saw where it did give an interesting perspective on art. Have you ever seen any of the SpongeBob SquarePants movies? No, I can't say as I have. Never watched SpongeBob? I, I saw SpongeBob, I, you know, I've seen like episodes, but... I, I, I was never big into SpongeBob. My girls went through a phase of about, oh, I don't know, six months or so where they like SpongeBob, but it was never my thing. Um, and I've never seen the movie, so. Was it the worst six months of your life? No, just. No, kidding. no. I think <laughs> SpongeBob can be funny. Well, they had this one movie called Atlantis Square Pantis, where. And it was just set up to be a musical, because there were several songs in the in the movie, but. They went to Atlantis because uh, there's this uh, medallion of Atlantis that's broken into two parts. And when you know you put them together, it's some in this bus that took you know SpongeBob, Patrick, Squidward, Sandy, and Mr. Krabs to Atlantis. And of course, Plankton 
snuck aboard as well. And well, of course, got to have the bad guy. Of course. And they went to Atlantis and the the uh, the leader of Atlantis was actually voiced by the late great David Bowie. And okay. I forgot what they what the title they gave him, but while they were walking around, they went to one of the museums and you know, he asked them what is art? And of course, Squidward, who fancies himself as being, you know, this artsy fartsy guy, goes, "Art is the conscious arrangement of elements in a manner that is aesthetically pleasing." And then the David Bowie's character is like, "Art is what happens when you begin to dream." So I guess I think that both of those can be pretty, you know, pretty good definitions for art. I mean, I do agree with the answer that they had Squidward give. Because for me, anyway, I think if something's going to be considered art, there has to be some conscientious effort put into that piece. Let me give you an example of a a class that I took. Because there was one of the art foundation classes I took when I was at Oshkosh. Okay. And it was called Drawing and... Well, actually, there's two classes I'd like to talk about. One of them is called Drawing in Color. And... The, the, the title of that class was kind of misleading because I think we only spent about a third of the semester actually drawing. Um, mo- the professor who taught that class, he was one of those guys, he felt that color was everything and subject matter was secondary. Okay. So for most of the semester, we played around with these this pack of like 500 sheets of paper and they weren't big i think they were like maybe four by six pieces of paper uh, and each one was a different color and we had different assignments like okay take three colors but make it look like four colors so what you might do is you might say take uh, a piece of blue paper and then take a piece of green paper and then you take a third color let's say a, a yellow color and you'd have to try to get it just right so that, because when you put that, you know, that yellow piece of paper against the the green piece of paper and against the blue, and you're looking at them side by side, they look like they're there's four different colors. But it has something to do with the way your eye interprets the color. Um, since okay. you know that yellow, even though the yellow might be the same, if it's against a darker color, it might look darker than it really is. So. Would you consider something like that art? Um, well, first of all, I have to disagree with that teacher. I don't think it's about color. I think, in, in my opinion, art is about what's what's uh, you know what uh, what what it is. What what you're trying to depict. What you're trying to emote. What you're trying to make somebody else feel. Um, and color has a part in that, but color is not what it's all about. Um, would that be art taking three pieces of paper to make it look like four colors? I guess at a rudimentary level, yes, I would say that was probably art. Um, but, uh, and maybe that's why I have such a hard time with, with, uh, painters per se is they, um, if I can't look at a picture and go, oh, it's a bird in a field that's covered in snow. And, oh, look, back there in the corner, they hid in a white fox that's trying to catch the bird. I get that. You know, it's it's pretty straightforward. 
It's a bird. No idea that soon it's going to be a dead bird or there's a good chance it's going to be a dead bird. You know, there's a Zen Buddhist riddle. Um, or actually, not it's really a riddle, but uh, it was a story. I, I remember learning about this in the uh, in my one of my world religions classes when we were talking about Buddhism, specifically Zen Buddhism, where you know they're into all these different riddles, and they had one about uh, there was a couple of priests arguing about, or I think maybe it was a master and a student arguing about it, a fox, and it wasn't a bird but a hare, and okay. the. You know, they were arguing about, you know, who, which one is going to win the chase because they were watching a fox chase around, you know, this rabbit. And it's like they, uh, one of the final verdict was the, fo- the hare would win because while the fox is running for its dinner, the, the rabbit is running for its life. Right. So, that makes sense. Sorry, that kind of, uh, hey, I uh, used my uh, other useless degree in this episode. Two for one. Woohoo! There you go. But, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? It's it's a very straightforward idea of what's in there. Mm -hmm. And then you look at something like Picasso's melting clocks. Uh, Or Dolly did the melting clocks. Or I'm sorry, Dolly's melting clocks or Picasso's. um, I don't know what any of the titles of them are, but, you know, you've got the woman with the eye where her nose should be and her mouth is where her ear should be kind of thing. And those things don't make sense to me. So. They don't, they don't capture my imagination. They don't capture my eye for the most part. And yet people are pay, paying millions of dollars for this stuff. Um, and to me, that just doesn't make sense. If, if somebody ever came to me with, let's say, a dolly and said, this is an original dolly, I'd be like, cool. And they'd be like, I want $112 million for it. And I'd say, go find somebody else. <laughs> because I don't care enough. Um, you know, but, but now if they bring me a Da Vinci or, you know, one of the ma- one of the so-called, you know, masters, a lot of those made more sense to me because they were based in something I understand. They were based in religion. They were based in science. They were based in something that, you know, makes sense to me. And I, I get a lot when my wife and I talk about art, she, uh, um, She'll say, but you have such a, a, you know, vivid imagination. Why don't these things appeal to you? And and the simple answer is because they don't make any sense to me. And I have to agree with you that not all art is going to make sense. I remember I, I have a friend that used to live in Oshkosh and she was an artsy type. And uh, she had a friend that actually ran an art gallery. And for a while, there were actually several art galleries down on Main Street at in Oshkosh. And every now and then, they would do what were called gallery walks, where, yep. you know, all these galleries, they were open past the normal hours. And, you know, some of them had live musicians. And, you know, they some of them gave away free samples of wine or hors d'oeuvres. And you could just go walk you know, between these art galleries and, you know, maybe get a little bit of, have some wine, have a drink, listen to some music, musicians and, you know, look at artwork. And there's some stuff. Yeah. And I, I agree where sometimes you just don't understand it. There was one thing that I never understood is when I would sometimes see one of these pictures, someone like took a canvas and painted it black and then they painted like a red triangle and a green square, and a blue circle on it. And they gave it some name like Untitled Number 347. 
It's yeah. like, it sounds to me like somebody looked at a controller for Sony PlayStation. <laughs> exactly, but it's like, okay, so are there, you know, 343 other untitled artworks where it's the same thing, where, you know, it's just, and I'm, I've seen other artwork like this, where, yeah, it's just, you know, a solid color, and then there's different shapes, and, you know, you're, you're supposed to look at it like it's some, you know, really well-composed piece, and I guess if you don't get it, you're not cultured enough, but, I mean, I, I think... You know, because they always talk about, you know, when it comes to, when it comes to art, they always talk about, oh, look at the balance, look at... I'm like, it's a, it's a streak of red person. It's just, it's, that's it. it. Don't talk to me about balance and, and composition and things like that. If, if I was in an art class in high school and I put that together, I wouldn't even turn it in because I'd be ashamed to turn it in. Another story from another one of my art classes when you're talking about that. Uh, another one of the classes I took was called Drawing and Composition. And this okay. is one where it was trying to tell you how to compose a picture. And it talked about things like, you know, scale and perspective. Like, for example, single point perspective. Um, The filmmaker Stanley Kubrick, he tended to use a lot of that. A good example, you've probably seen The Shining. Um, Actually, that's one of the movies I have not seen. Okay. But, like, let's say you've got a movie scene where you're looking down a hallway Right, you know that's an example of. Well, a I've seen this. I've seen this. I know what you, what you're talking about. I've seen this. Yes. Yeah. But, but, like, but yeah, if, even if you've got, you know, in some of these these artistic composition uh, theories, actually do carry over not just from you know physical art like a painting or a drawing, but they're also really useful in things like TV and you know movie making. Like, as I was talking about, for example, the single point of perspective where, you know, any line on the picture is pretty much going to go to a single point in the distance. Or another thing you might do is, I forgot the exact term for it. It's something you can use in visual art, but also something that they use quite a bit in in movie and, and TV making. Uh, like when you are doing a perspective of somebody how you, the angle that you are viewing that person or that thing can certainly say a lot about it. Uh, now, I can't think of a specific movie for ex- or scene, for example, but like, for example, if you're looking up at someone, like, let's mm-hmm. say, you know, imagine like you're sitting down and then you're looking at s- someone in the face and they're standing. Here, I've got, I've, got a, I've got a great movie scene for you that'll fit what I think you're going at. And you can okay. tell me if I'm wrong afterwards, but... In Lord of the Rings, when they create the the um, Fellowship of the Ring, and everybody's standing around, and the hobbits are short, and the, and the you know the men and elves are tall, and the dwarf is somewhere in the middle, they did that all through camera angles, and they actually did it by how close to the camera people stood. Yep, that's called forced perspective, and okay. yeah, that's not not exactly the same thing, but. When you're looking at an angle, if you're looking up at something, it makes the thing seem stronger or more powerful. So if you wanted to, let's say in the next Star Wars movie, okay. um, they want to do a scene where they want to make Kylo Ren seem a lot more... Wait, are you giving spoilers to Episode Eight? I do not have a knowledge of any episode eight spoilers yet. Sorry, but okay. But let's okay. Say that's this, safe. Go on. Yeah, just using <laughs> Star Wars because, of course, that's that's a 
a movie that a lot of people are familiar with, but oh, absolutely. Like, let's say that uh, you, you know you you want to make Kylo Ren look more menacing in a shot. You might take it so that the camera's actually you know below him, maybe at waist level and looking up, because it gives you the impression that you're looking up at this character, and that makes him seem a lot more menacing and a lot stronger than you might think he is. Where the opposite, okay, low angle versus high angle. And I always get the two mixed up, but one of them is looking at something from the uh, from a high perspective where you're looking down on something. And that's a perspective you might use if you want to imply that the subject is weak or, you know, not very threatening or, or small. Whereas the one when you're looking up at something, that's where it makes it look a lot stronger and more powerful. So, and, you know, again, these are artistic concepts that not only can you see in paintings and drawings, but they really carry over very well into the, you know, into the, the motion picture and the TV mediums. And when you're talking about composition, though, uh, there was a class I took called drawing and composition. And the purpose of that class was to tell you about different types of perspectives and some of the ways to compose a picture. And my friend Dan from the Radio Free Borderlands podcast, I remember we took that class together. At at Oshkosh, they had something called interim classes where you had your normal 14-week semester. Right. And then if you wanted to, you could take an optional three-week class. And and essentially... Or winter? Yeah, usually winter and spring. Okay. So essentially it was trying to cram 14 weeks into three weeks. And Dan and I took this uh, class drawing in perspective as a, as a interim class. And it was a lot of fun because basically for three weeks we woke up and went to an art class, came home. And if we didn't have, if we had homework, it was just drawing or it was art. And if we didn't have homework, we'd spend the rest of the day playing video games or watching movies. Wait, you will? Yeah. Can you imagine that, me playing video games and watching movies? No, I, I'm totally outside your character, but go on. Okay, so to get back, there was this one assignment that we had where we had to take bits of, like, well, garbage, essentially. You know, like scraps of paper and cloth and, you know, little short lengths of twine or rope or whatever, and we had to glue them onto a piece of paper. And... I remember Dan and I were sitting there in the back of the room, closing our eye. We'd, we'd put glue on a piece of trash or a piece of paper or something, close our eyes and just slap it down onto the picture. And I remember, see, one of the things they did in a lot of art classes back then is at you had your assignment and after working on it, you would do a class evaluation where everyone would pin up their picture around the room and then, you know, you'd you take turns when it was your turn. You talk a little bit about the picture. And the goal was to try to get other people in the class to discuss it. Okay. And I remember when the professor was looking at mine, it's like, she was like, oh, I like what you did here, how it flows from here to here to here and how, you know, it's got good balance and good rhythm. And I'm like, I didn't have the heart to say, professor, I was literally closing my eyes and gluing stuff to a piece of paper. (laughs) (laughs) And that just shows how... How um, how art is really the opinion of the person viewing it, and not so much the opinion of of what you did. Because 
in this case, you just randomly glued stuff to a piece of paper, and she loved it. She liked the flow. She loved the composition, all this other stuff. But then you can take someone who's a, a real artist, and, and this might be a little controversial as people listen to this, but take someone like Adolf Hitler. Have you ever seen any of his paintings? I haven't, but I know that he was rejected from art school. And, yeah, apparently if you find one of his old pictures, it's worth a lot. <laughs> well, I wasn't it? Yeah, it is. But that's not what I'm talking yeah. about. I've seen some actual – he wasn't a horrible artist. He would be what I would call like an outdoor artist. He would sit somewhere and he would paint the areas around him. Like Bob Ross. They looked, yeah, kind of, except – yeah, a different style because of the, the era, but yeah. he would, you know, he would sit and he would uh, paint the uh, this old barn off in the distance and the trees and stuff. And it wasn't wonderful art, but it was by no means was it bad. So if he painted um, a picture of a cow, you could tell it was a cow. Exactly. If he painted the picture of a barn, you knew it was a barn. I mean, it, that kind of stuff. Now, you know. Would the this is one of the questions, and it, it kind of relates to art. Is if he had been accepted to Vienna School of Art, would we have had Adolf Hitler, the um, the the mad you know homicidal maniac, genocidal maniac, or would you know had he gone there, would he have then ended up being Adolf Hitler, you know, painter? Would he have ended up being either a famous painter or a not famous painter, but? Where would we have ended had art not been taken away from him? That is true. And that's a, I mean, I know that's something that people have pondered. And um, I think one of the, I think it was Winston Churchill. I, I thought I heard that he also dabbled in art. And someone, yeah. is, someone is saying that it's a shame that Hitler wasn't a better artist. And, you know, maybe it's a good thing that Churchill wasn't a good artist. And, um, you know, so I, I get what you mean. And I, to get a little bit off topic here, if you do want to get metaphysical, one of the theories that people have about like time travel. Okay. And again, oh boy, we're really going all over the place with this episode, aren't we? That's okay. That's what this, that's what this podcast is all about. And I do it a lot on my own podcast. So, Hey, well, anyways, uh, one of the theories that some people who speculate about time travel have is, you know, okay, can you go back in time and can you change the past? So let's say, for example, someone does invent a time machine and they do go back in time and they convince the people at Vienna Art School to accept Hitler into the school. Or maybe they, you know, they help Hitler become a better artist so he does become an artist instead of going into politics. Does that necessarily mean that World War II wouldn't have happened? There are some people that say it still could have happened it just it would have been a different person in control or it may have happened within a different context. Right. And that's that's kind of the thing is where they say, OK, so if Hitler, if you, you let's say let's say let's take it even one step further. Let's say you go back in the time machine and you kill eight year old Hitler. OK, so he's gone. He's out of the picture. He's not an art student. He's you know, he's just gone. What would have happened? Well, somebody else would have fulfilled would have filled that that position in history because everything going on around Hitler that caused him to become the, the, the man he became would still be there. And there would be just somebody else that would step into those shoes. And who knows if that did happen, 
for all we know, the person who would have taken his place could have ended up being worse. Yeah, which, it could have been even worse. You know, you which know, is and, hard to believe when you would consider a lot of the atrocities that he committed. But absolutely. Anyways. But um, all right. So back to art. So let's try to answer this question: What is art? And I think I'm going to come up with an answer that a lot of people have come up with, and that is art is in the eye of the beholder. Okay. It depends on the person. What I consider art is not what you're going to consider art. Now, we may have some overlap. We may both go, oh, yeah, uh, the, the, the Sistine Chapel done by uh, Leonardo da Vinci. It's a masterpiece. It's a work of art. We might both agree on that. But then you could go, oh, look at that, you know, the, the melting clocks by uh, Salvador Dali. And I'm going to be like, eh. And you're going to be like going on and gushing about how great this stuff is. And in the same tone, you could be like, uh, I could say to you, hey, what about, uh, you know, what about Picasso? Don't you like how the composition, blah, 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 you know, and I could babble on about it. I'm really into it. And you could just be like, I don't get it. So that just brings me around to the idea that, you know, art is in the eye of the beholder. And to some extent, I think that is true. But then again, I think there's a lot of stuff that we all can agree is, you know, is artistic. And again, going back to uh, what, you know, Squidward was saying in, in that, that movie, how it's, you know, the conscious arrangements of, of, of elements. So there should be, I think, some planning and some thought put in behind the piece, which is why, like, you know, when that art professor was saying that my my picture, which, you know, is essentially garbage glued onto a, a larger piece of paper, while she may have liked the design and the competition, the composition, I wouldn't necessarily have considered that art because I wasn't putting any conscious effort into it, whereas some of the other stuff I've done, I'm not, I have, I'm not an expert artist. So I will not, you know, I'm not trying to say that I'm going to be the next Larry Elmore or the next Jeff Easley or Pablo Picasso. But I mean, some of the arts, you know, some of the pictures that I did, you know, the, well, you may not, well, the artistic style may not have been, on par with a lot of the greats, there was some planning in it. So I would still consider it art, even though, you know, even though, like I said, it's not necessarily the, uh, you know, on par with like Da Vinci or Michelangelo. Now, on, on the other hand, the second part, aesthetically pleasing. I think that's one of the things where it does kind of come into that whole in the eye of the beholder because let's say for the sake of, well, okay, go back to the art gallery walk uh, I was talking about where, okay. you know, again, that person painted a canvas black and then painted, you know, some other, you know, just some shapes on it and gave it some random title. Now, if you think that that picture of that black canvas with a few shapes printed on it or painted on it is is aesthetically pleasing, then yeah, I guess you're going to see it art, but I, you know, I was more of the opinion that, okay, I don't get it. I mean, technically it's flat, you know, there was no effort to make any sort of depth of field. There was no effort 
and perspective, and it didn't really look like something they put a lot of conscientious effort into. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying. I guess, you know, it's, it's like you said in the beginning, this is one of those age-old questions. We're never going to answer it. Um, but is there anything else you wanted to bring up since this is your topic? Is there something that you wanted to talk about we haven't talked about yet? So we've talked about visual arts. Let's go a little bit into the performing arts. And and again, we talked about this earlier, how you know you didn't necessarily think that theater was an art form. But, I mean, what about like a lot of the art artistic films? I mean, one of them that always comes to mind is, you know, Andy Warhol. He made a film which I think was called Empire State. It was essentially a camera pointing up at the Empire State Building for like three or four hours. Or there was this other one he made, I think it was called Soup, where a guy gets up, he makes a can of soup, he eats a can, a bowl of soup, and then reads a newspaper, smokes a cigar, and then goes, takes a 20-minute nap. So something like that, would you consider that some type of art form? Oh, you know, that's a good question, Al. I, I don't know. And, and again, it, maybe it's just, maybe I'm just not sophisticated enough, but, um, is it an art form? Yes. Um, is it art? And, And maybe that's where I'm getting hung up and not understanding what we're trying to do here today. But to me, there are art forms, theater, um, uh, painting, Photography. I mean, you look at somebody like Ansel Adams and the photography that he has or did do. It's amazing. It's eye capturing. It's done in a sepia tone. It's to me, that stuff is amazing. Other people look at it and go, it's pictures. You know, and the thing when you are talking about Ansel Adams, um, I had a I did take a couple of photography classes and I think in a way photography is in danger of becoming a lost art when you're talking about, you know, the, how we've got digital cameras, that'll do just about everything for you. But in this particular class I took, or the two of them rather, you know, not only did, you know, you had to, we were using manual cameras where you had to adjust the focus, you had to adjust the aperture, the exposure time. And then once you've taken your picture, of course, this was on a roll of film, you still weren't done because you had to take it into the photo lab. You had to develop the film. And, One of the things you had to keep in mind when you were developing the film by hand is how long you left it in the tank for exposure could affect the contrast of your your picture. And then once you got your film developed, you still weren't done because then you took it into the photo lab where you you know, you got it out of the darkroom and into the lab where you would put your film in a holder and it would shine the light onto the paper. And I remember our professor, he, and oh, I love that professor in that class. Uh, He was awesome. But, you know, he talked about different techniques for like, you know, dodging and burning. Like, you know, let's say you wanted one area to be a little bit darker than, you know, you would move like another piece of paper to, you know, to to make it so that more light would focus on that area and that could make it darker. Or by letting less light, I think it got, it got brighter. I, I may have the two confused, but okay. I mean, he, 
so that's where you really when and we did talk a lot about Ansel Adams in that class and you know I think with today with digital cameras being as good as they are there are some younger people that might look at a picture by Ansel Adams and as you said they're like it's a picture of a tree big deal mm-hmm. and it's like okay but you don't you, you got to remember that the type of camera he was using, you know, he had to make, he had to be aware of things like the exposure time and the aperture setting and the, you know, the focus, the depth of field. And even once he took the picture, he had to take it into the, the dark room to develop the film. And then he had to make the print of it. So it, it's a very time intensive process. And as I found out from experience, when you're in the dark room, if you don't get the film on the roll correctly, you can damage your film and then you might, you know, ruin a really, what would have been a really good shot. So yeah, it takes a lot more talent, I think, than people think. I, I think you're absolutely right with that. Um, so I guess here's the other thing to kind of get to when we talk about this today. One of the things, and okay, I, I apologize, we are going to get a little bit into the realm of politics here. But okay. then again, we also talked about time travel and alternate realities and stuff. So, hey, eh, let's go. Why, why not go into politics? Absolutely. That's that's what I live for. Yeah. And there was an there was an article on I think it was Yahoo News where Donald Trump or someone in his cabinet was thinking of defunding the National Endowment for the Arts. And there are people who, you know, for starters, they think it's a bad idea because there were some good films that were made from that national endowment for the arts and for the humanities. But when you look at how much the country's budget is, the, Mm -hmm. I think they are saying the amount we spend on those programs is like three one thousandths of a percent of the national budget. So it's not much. Right. But, and, and some schools they do, they are considering cutting back on art programs. What do you think? Do you think that art still is something that should be taught in schools or do you think it's just a worthless class and instead of teaching kids how to draw and paint and, you know, make sculptures with clay, we should we should use that time to teach them, you know, math and science and, you know, other fields of study. Right. I get what you're saying. And and my answer to that is art absolutely needs to be a part of school. Um Growing up, I took art classes. Uh, growing up, I did theater. I did all these things <clears throat> that helped shape me into the person I am. Um, had there not been uh, opportunities to do theater or to art classes or to do anything like that, you know, I don't know how I would have ended up different, but, um, you know, I think a lot of those things help kids focus on what they want to do. You know, for me, it helped me stay engaged in my other classes because uh, doing a play in high school meant that you had to have all passing grades. If you didn't, you got cut. So there was a focus of, I really enjoyed being on stage. I really enjoyed putting something out there for people to see, which you can still tell because now I'm doing podcasts because I like to be, <laughs> I like to give people something uh, that hopefully they can enjoy. Um, And, you know, so that helped me get through school that way. Um, And I think if you take these things away, if you take away the the ability for children to be 
um, inventive, to be um, engaged in a in in a place in a thing that isn't you know just math and arithmetic and, and you know literature. Um, I think that takes away a part, uh, an element of a person, and I don't think that's something that we want because the ability to dream and envision things that aren't and allow people to become and to learn and to do things greater than what we have now. I think all that relates back to and falls on the arts. Yep. And, and I agree with you because, and I was trying to get to that point earlier on in the show where I was mentioning that, you know, a lot of stuff that you would learn in an art class or that you might learn in an art class, like, you know, perspective and, uh, you know, composition, you know, it not only does that work on the 2D medium of a painting or a drawing, but, you know, it also plays into, you know, theater and movies. And I don't think anyone is going to argue that we should take away TV shows and, you know, and movies. And the other thing that, you know, I was thinking about when, I was preparing for uh, this topic is, you know, really art is just about everywhere around us. Anytime you drive down the street, if you drive by a building that has a corporate logo on it, someone had to design that logo, which meant they had to have somewhat of an artistic eye in order to make a logo that was going to be effective and and eye-catching. And you can ask Donald Trump and uh, Mike Pence about the effectiveness of a hiring a good graphic designer. Do you remember their original logo when it was, when Trump announced Pence as his running mate? Was that the TP one? Yes, there was a T penetrating the, 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 the open space inside of the P. Right. And of course people were making fun of it and it's like, come on, I could have done something better in five minutes and, you know, in, in Microsoft Word. And so, yeah, it, right. it, you know, and just like I said, and you look at books like our Dungeons and Dragons books. Yeah, you're going to have the pictures in there by Elmore or, uh, you know, or Easley or Brom or I'm I'm not sure who their current crop of artists is. Right. But not only do you have to have those people to create that art, you also have to have somewhat of an artistic eye when you're doing the layout for those books. So. Oh, yeah. I, I think art, it does affect and touch our lives in a lot more ways than some people think. And and as you were saying, and I think you really put this well, it's nice to be able to create something that someone else is going to enjoy, which is maybe that's yeah, the reason why we do these podcasts, right? <laughs> exactly. At least I, I hope you guys enjoy them. I'm sorry, what was that? I, I should hope that people enjoy our, our podcasts. I, I hope they do. Honestly, I, I really hope that... When people listen to a podcast, whether it's you know mine or it's one of the ones you do, I really hope people listen to that and think, you know, that was that was pretty cool. I really enjoyed listening to that. Right, or I learned something, or it made me think about something. Yep, because that's that's what they're there for. All right, let's let's draw this uh, to a close here, um, and uh, you know, I'll jump into next uh, next week. Next week, my guest is going to be a young man, and I can still call him that. I've known him since he was in high school. Um, he is now um, in the radio industry, and he's doing quite well there. His name is Zach Hagenbucher. Oh. And Zach, 
Zach is going to come on, and uh, I, don't, I don't know what we're going to talk about, but I'm sure it'll be interesting. Zach is very opinionated, as are a lot of the people I bring onto this show, for the simple reason that if you have an opinion, you're going to talk about it. If you really don't have an opinion or you're not opinionated, it's going to be really hard to – it'll be like pulling teeth. You know, it's it's just not a whole lot of fun that way. So Zach will be on next week. It's going to be um, a lot of fun, I'm sure. So um, there's that. Um, as far as email, still not seeing them. I, uh, I'm not going to harp on this too much. I don't want to sound like I'm desperate for emails, but it would be nice to see one once in a while, you know, come into whose podcast is it at gmail.com. But, um, you know, we can do these episodes without them. So I'm not too worried there. And that brings us down to the end of the show, Al. And, um, I kind of started doing something new, which since you uh, since you edit these podcasts, I'm sure you uh, have have noticed it. Is that I'm no longer having the guest guess who the quote is from. Just like I don't guess what the topic is anymore. I kind of I kind of got rid of that. So this week's to- or this week's quote, and we can what what I'd rather do with these Al is discuss the quote uh, quickly after giving it. Uh, versus um, having you guess it. So the quote um, this week comes from Abraham Lincoln, and it says, Always bear in mind that your own resolution to succeed is more important than any other. And it's kind of funny. I picked this one, um, you know, obviously before before we started this, but it really seems to tie into the topic of art. And not only art, I mean life in general, but it it has a bearing, I think, on what we just got done discussing. Uh, Thoughts? Yeah, and I I agree with that because, you know, success, a lot of it is based on, you know, the effort that you're going to put forward to it. And uh, I I think in most cases, yeah, you're the one that has to be responsible for your success because most people aren't going to give you anything in life for free. Sometimes you really got to work hard at it. Yeah, yeah, and and I I gotta agree with that. So I want to thank you, Al, for coming on the show. Thanks for having uh, me again. again. <laughs> it's been fun. So um, until next week, I'll talk to you guys then.